Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where we are looking at He-Man, Masters of the Universe, a strangely un-Egyptian film, to be honest. For this episode, I have a guest. Um, he last joined me on the episode on Plan 9 from Outer Space, uh, Mr. Oliver Reason. Yeah, no, thank you very much for having me on. I seem to be your main guy when it comes to doing non-mummy-related films. Generally, just pretty terrible films. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why you have to put me through this sort of torture, but thank you anyway. I get a weird sense of satisfaction from it. I, I think... bet, I bet you do. I bet it, yeah, makes you go to sleep very nicely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so as people are going to be absolutely shocked and horrified to hear. Um, there's not going to be a historical accuracy section in this one because there's literally no point. Well, I don't know. I think it's a very, very accurate film if you uh, look into the toy franchises of that time. Do you know the ironic thing? You said that while we were watching this film. Yeah. And this film was actually not based on He-Man. Okay. Right. I, right. Okay. Well, have you ever been to tell them what film we've watched, haven't you, Pete? It's actually based on the toys. Of He-Man, not He-Man. Like, that's been, that was specified when this film was made. Okay, yeah. So, it's actually technically got nothing to do with the He-Man cartoon. It's got to do with the toys that are made from the cartoon. <laughs> okay, so my theory that this is solely made in order to ship products was was basically founded then. Yeah, like, that's literally good. by its very identity, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I've got to do my um, my dramatic intro. So, here we go. Light, you are a mighty warrior in a desperate battle for the planet Eternia. However, your mortal enemy, the evil Skeletor, is determined to defeat you and has captured your ally, the Sorcerer. You try to rescue her, but end up in an ambush. The only way to escape is to jump through a portal. Little do you realise that your coming journey is going to shape you into something incredible as you become a master of the universe. 
This film starts with, well, I mean, the He-Man intro. Yep. No, the Superman intro. Yeah, the Superman intro, yeah. Um, initially, when you started putting this on, I was convinced we were watching Superman 4. Yes, and we were talking about this a little bit during the uh, film. Yeah. But did you actually know that this is the same company that made Superman 4? I did not, know. I did not know that at all. Yeah. But I mean, I should really know by the introduction because the the intro music is essentially the Superman theme, but the notes just slightly mixed up. Yeah. And the interesting thing, right, is um, this film, it made, well, it was made for $22 million, which is just under $60 million. Yeah. And it made a, well, I say it made a profit. It lost $5 million in total. Yeah. As this is the same company that was made by the people who made uh, Superman 4 Request for Peace. Yeah. That also tanked, and those two films are the reason that Canon Films actually went under. Amazing. Wonderful. All of all of the films they made before this were quite low budget. Like, you know, do you know Death Wish, the film Death Wish? Um, I do not, know. Okay, so if the first film was quite uh, a classic. It's about a guy who basically goes on to revenge his family. Okay. Uh, and then they made Death Wish 2. The, this company made that film and it tanked. Well, it didn't tank, but it was low budget and it, um, it, it, it wasn't did, bad. It wasn't the mega hit they wanted it to be. No, and then they made the third one. But they're all quite low budget, so they kind of did make a profit. Yeah. These were the first two films that they tried to make big budget and <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean... Uh, Superman 4, even though I'm aware of the film, it's not one that I've watched uh, in time myself either, so maybe that's going to be one for a later date. Do you want to know something interesting? Oh, please do. Right. Tell me. So this film uh, was a film from my childhood that yes. I have a weird amount of nostalgia for. Yes. Superman 4, A Quest of... For, yeah, I can't speak. Superman 4, A Quest for... I can't say that. Yeah. Superman 4, A Quest for Peace is also a film from my childhood wow. that I have a lot of nostalgia for. Did your parents work for Canon like film productions? Or something? Maybe. Maybe they just got some free uh, videos or something. They got some free videos because that's all you were allowed to watch back in the day. <laughs> you can only watch those two films. Yeah. Um, the thing, I, I have actually watched Superman A Quest for Peace not that long ago, and the villain in it is, again, so hysterically 80s because mm. he's called Nuclear Man. Oh, yeah. And he was made by the power of the sun. Mm. And... Oh my goodness! If you ever get a chance just to see a picture of him, like <laughs> I said, I might be on my list of things to do like after this. Yeah, but there's also a, a great scene. I think it's in this one where basically there's a um, a volcano going off, mm -hmm. and Superman just flies towards it with a big plug and puts it in the top. <laughs> now I'm pretty sure I've seen that in a lot of like uh, like early morning cartoons. Yeah, I didn't realise that was also a reference in a, a live action superhero film. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so when the film properly opens up, I mean, you said as we were watching it, it essentially just starts. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it starts with the the battle for Eternia already. Almost lost by our wonderful good guys. Um, you know, Skeletor has already taken over Castle Grayskull and he's now trying to just track down He-Man, which to me felt like that we're at the, the later middle half of a whole movie. Yeah. And I asked you when we started whether this was a sequel to something, but no, it's not. The, the, the thing that I didn't realise about this film as a child or as an adult until I, I literally looked it up 
is you know all of the people who look a bit like um, a mixture of Darth Vader and Stormtroopers? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. They're supposed to be robots. Um, okay. <laughs> There's no hint of that in this film. No, nowhere in that film does it, does it hint that any of them are robots, no. Um, but <laughs> the idea was that they didn't want He-Man to actually be killing people. <laughs> so they just made them robots, but they don't allude to that at all. No, so then it's kind of completely beside the point then, isn't it? Yeah. Because most people going into this are just still going to be assuming He-Man is killing people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's what would happen if you basically tried to turn Darth Vader into every single Stormtrooper in the film. Uh, and I have to say, you know, if, if people think Stormtroopers were bad, these guys are on another level. It's it's quite amazing, really. Well, they just kind of randomly fall over. Like, they get, like, touched yeah. and they go... I mean, yeah, that happens many times in the story where, like, they'll even, like, uh, just fall over in the middle of a shot and the Cleed just didn't want to reshoot him. <laughs> So anyway, um, the first sort of uh, proper time we see... Well, first of all, you have Skeletor has captured this person called the Sorcerer. Yes. And he's drawing his power from her. And they need to wait until, like, the moon is... I can't remember the wording they use, to be honest. But... No. Anyway, there's some kind of made-up term that only makes sense in this world, of which we're going to hear plenty of those as we go through the film. Almost quite conveniently, like, no one knows what it's supposed to be saying yeah. and that's been done deliberately <laughs> basically the first time we see He-Man he jumps out and he starts attacking these weird Star Vader Stormtrooper, ro Stormtrooper robot things yep. and um, then he rescues a little creature called uh, Gwildor Gwildor yes 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 with one of the most horrifying like CGI masks I've <laughs> ever seen it's quite, quite incredible well it's sort of just a I don't know, it's like a other thing, isn't it? Yeah, it looks like someone's just uh, carved the face off of something else and just draped it over the them. It's pretty terrifying. And I love the fact that there doesn't need to be any hint of why he's attacked these things, but this this creature just so happens to have, was it the Key of Chaos, isn't it? I think it's called. Well, no, the Cosmic Key. The cosmic it's a Cosmic Key. key. Yeah, the Cosmic Key. He just so happens to have been the inventor of the Cosmic Key, which is the MacGuffin that sets the entire film in motion. Yeah. And is also the reason why our heroes are in the situation they are in. The most, the rarest thing in the universe. Yes. So there's only one other of them which, you know, Skeletor just happens to have. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's more that... It's the rarest thing in the universe, and when he takes He-Man and his friends back to his hovel, uh, he just happens to have another. <laughs> yeah. It's the rarest thing in the universe, of which I have a second one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the rarest pair of something yes. in the So it's like the rarest pair of socks. It's the rarest pair of cosmic keys you get. They always come as a set. Anyway, as they're in, the, um, in his house, mm -hmm. Skeletor sent his little minions... To basically uh, get the the key, yeah, and they basically knock down the door, and yep. He-Man and his his allies all flee through a very convenient sort of like hidden passage. Hidden passageway, yeah. And then somehow, like I guess it's because they use the key, they just end up in the throne room of. Yep, they just magically appear in the front room of Scouts Hall, um, but the. It doesn't show that happening. They just happen to be there. Yeah. Um, at which point, there is no one around at all in what is probably the most secure place in the entire kingdom at this point. <laughs> and they get to the sorceress, and basically they can't rescue her because only Skeletor can like get rid of the force feelings mm -hmm. surrounding her. Yeah. Except for this key, which they don't have time to use because all of the 
enemies turn up. Yes, yeah, everyone just kind of comes out of nowhere like surprise birthday party style. Yeah. And there's a big fight. Yeah, huge fight. And I'm like, okay, well, right, we're, we're getting to the end of the film already. It's only been, what, like 15 minutes at this point? Yeah, we're at the, the climax. That isn't the climax. Yeah, climax says that's not a climax. Yeah, Phil. The false finish, if you will. Yeah. And then there's, well, they use the uh, the MacGuffin, like you said, the uh, the cosmic key. Yep. To open a portal, but they don't put to where. And so they all jump through, and then they've got the key lying on the ground. Of course, yeah. So, you know, is it, uh, it was at this point where I was like, okay, so they've they've clearly, like, transported themselves to, like, a swamp sort of area. Um, you know, what could this, poss- what could this possibly be? Uh, you know, I, I wonder where they've ended up. And my suspicions were raised when out of nowhere a rogue cow appears on screen. Um, and it was at this point that I realised something was very up with this film and it was not going to go the way I expected it to go. Well, it's it's a He-Man film. Come on yeah. now. They are on another planet. Yeah. If I... Yeah. <laughs> they're rather like, like deep into the universe on another planet. And then the next shot we get is some wonderful young people working at a knockoff KFC. Yes, <laughs> and I had to I had to pause the film at this point because I was not expecting this at all. I think that's right. It's, <laughs> we've gone from what um, Superman credits coming down, yes, to quite clear knockoff of Star Wars, yes, like to the epitome of it, basically. Mm-hmm. To what was essentially like what like um Gildor's he seems to be almost from like like labyrinth or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that was like a labyrinth character, yeah. And now we're just on Earth. It's like they're going through each of like the tropes of the eighties. It was it was probably very yeah, it like fantasy characters from a, a well known franchise arriving on Earth just seemed like probably the most eighties trope imaginable. And why? <laughs> why did what? Why? Why did they make that call? They've got so much to work with, and yet they decide, of all places, to to base it on Earth. Well, when we're watching this, you kind of made a point here. You said you you actually did come up with one of the reasons why they set it on Earth. Do you remember what you said? Um, I think I said, is it because they didn't have the budget to? Uh, make what they wanted to make so it was easier just to have it in some bloke's living room than to create like fantasy castles and that you're not far off okay uh there's also another thing that i quite like right um with Dolph Lundgren yeah the the makers of this film told him that they, they couldn't get him a stunt man because of his weird is weirdly like you know perfect physique of course which yep. to be fair he does in this stuff yeah i mean my god he's the the, the blondest bronzest man who may ever live you know he's just absolutely exquisite but the reason they actually told him that was because they were running out of money and they didn't want to hire a stuntman. <laughs> so they just, like, minus like the very death-defying ones, they just made him do his own stunts. Okay, yeah. Um. Yeah, so we, they're in like this uh, this knockoff KFC. Yeah. Which I'm not sure because like at one point he's eating from the bucket. And yeah, but it's like, it's ribs and then chicken and then ribs again and then... Uh, are they, these buckets are amazing. Just meat appears in them. There's one. Yeah. But... but we we get to see Courtney Cox in her second. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's her second film. Yeah, yeah. And the one thing I remember because, like I said, I used to watch this film a lot around my grandparents when I was younger. Like I, I a lot. I used to love He Man. I used to think the food in this film looked delicious. <laughs> like in the bucket, I don't know what it was about that bucket where they just. One of my main memories from this film was like, 
I I have to say, they when they pulled when they decided that they needed to have sustenance and, and stole the food from a couple having a very very passionate kid. <laughs> um, when they took the stuff out of the bucket, it looked like the driest food I have ever seen. Like the chicken looked like it had been deep fried for a good like two hours or something. Yeah, it was bloody horrific. But did you notice something about this scene? Because mm. you were going. Wait, are they eating ribs or are they eating chicken? Yeah. There's just both of them in the bucket. There was, yeah. And I swear, like, I, I don't know what's in that bucket. I mean, was it Man at Arms was eating a chicken a chicken leg and then, um, is it Ter? Gildor. Gil- yeah, Gildor was eating something. I think he was eating chicken as well. But Teela was eating a rib. Yeah. In the same bucket. And then I'm pretty sure at one point, I might be wrong, but I swear like it just goes back to Gildor and then he's eating a rib. Like, you know, it, it switches. Yeah. Because, you know, you don't need continuity. Oh, of course not. I mean, this sounds like an amazing fruit place you can go to and get a bucket of chicken and ribs. This is, sounds incredible. <laughs> it does sound amazing, not going to lie. Um, but then we go to uh, the... The human characters. The human characters. And, well, they were going on a date, but they've just gone to, like, the graveyard. Oh, yeah. So, Courtney Cox's backstory is that she sadly lost her parents in a in a flight, which we'll get into the details of later, because it's only revealed what their plans were later on in the film. But they end up going to the, the graves of her parents on that day. And she's, like, going, but, like, um, if I had just gone to the beach, it would have been alive. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we don't really have the context, but then I'm, you know, I, it just seems like a very like, very weird thing in that she's blaming herself for the death of her parents. It seems, you know, very odd to kind of start on that, essentially, and that for to be our first interaction of the relationship of these two <laughs> is I now have dead parents and I'm leaving town. Yeah. Okay. That's- okay, anyway, you know. <laughs> but... The main point of this scene, like, outside of, like, the heartbreaking backstory... Of course, yes, I cried. ...is, uh, well, as they're walking back towards the car, they find the cosmic key, which he yes. and his allies have lost. Of course, yeah. And, of course, they just... Well, the, the, the Kevin, the boyfriend, because yeah. you have her, she's Julie, and then him, he's Kevin, I believe. Julie and Kevin, yeah. yeah. Very generic names. Yeah, the most generic American couple ever. Yeah. And he just randomly decides it's one of those new synthesizer things. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, I'm walking through a graveyard and find a weird flashing object in a crater in the ground. It's clearly a Japanese synthesizer. <laughs> of course it is. It makes perfect sense. And then he starts playing it, and, you know, obviously it sounds very synthy. <laughs> and this allows our villains to work out where they've gone. Yeah. Yes. Because somehow, magically, these keys have connections across... Billions of light years of space. That makes perfect sense. And so Skeletor, in his very, very rubber mask, that's clearly not a skull. Oh, my God, yeah. It's it's pretty, uh, I think, horrific is the term that I would use. Yeah. It, you know, you can clearly see his mouth moving behind his mouth. It looks like they bought it out of a Halloween store. I, I just like the fact that his nose is clearly supposed to be hollow, but yeah. you, can see, you can see the shine. Oh, yeah. You can see the shine. You can very clearly see the fabric in the nose. Yeah, he looks like he's just put a balaclava on and they just put clay on his face. Yeah, and he, he basically starts to formulate a plan of how to get this cosmic key back. This evil plan, yes. yes. We don't know entirely what it is yet, but we know he's up to something. You know, yes. Of course, it's skeletal. He's always up to something. And so it sort of skips between scenes here where we're going to Earth, where we see 
uh, Julie and Kevin in sort of like a school hall, and he's sort of like doing a sound test mm-hmm. using this new cosmic key. Yep, using his using his Japanese synthesizer. Yeah, which he's still convinced is an instrument, even though it can shoot out like light from the top of holograms. <laughs> oh, uh, Kevin is just light years ahead of us at this point. I think he just he just knows things that are beyond mortal comprehension. And then he decides he's going to go to this pawn shop where he knows someone to find out more about it. <laughs> and leaves Julie alone in the hall. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of walks over the place. And that's when we get uh, we, the introduction of our, our like, side villains. Or- well, I mean, they've been introduced to slightly before this where he he lines them up, sort of like in the, uh, the bounty hunter scene from Star Wars where Darth Vader's got all the bounty hunters he's going to send after those darn rebels. <laughs> and uh, it goes through all of their names, of which I, I forget basically all of them. Well, you I've got from my favourite one, Blaze. How can you forget Beast Man? Beast now, Beast Man, of course, one of the X-Men is there. We've got Blade fighting vampires, who's somehow in this universe. <laughs> We've got Beast Man from the X-Men, so the two Marvel characters have turned up now. Yeah. Because they are actually um, oh evil Lynn, but she doesn't go back just yet. No, and she's the she's the the main psychic of our wonderful Skeletor. For doing anyone with like so like Skeletor was played by uh, Frank Langella, I think his name is. One of the things that quite like first of all, apparently this is one of his favorite roles to play. He loved playing Skeletor. <laughs> but originally Skeletor, um, you know, like in the cartoon, he's kind of almost got like a similar kind of get up to um, He Man, where he's kind of got like he's shirtless. And, yeah, like the weird sort of BDSM thing. Yeah, he's got he's got the weird BDSM costume, just like uh, He Man, but he's got purple skin. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, he didn't want. Skeletor to look like that because he didn't want Skeletor to look sexy. Okay. That's his worst. <laughs> so he's just got like a rope thing on instead. Okay. <laughs> so he, he wanted to look more like the Grim Reaper instead. Yeah. But, but, but I mean, I guess it's kind of sexy. <laughs> What's under those robes, do you? Depends on maybe you like the mysteriousness. Yes. <laughs> but we get the great scene where they're jumping through the portal into the hall. Oh, we... yeah. And they all kind of jump in and do their, like, Mortal Kombat introduction, don't they? Where they do, like, a weird, like, movement pose and then walk off screen so the other one can come in and do it. It was quite lovely. You just, you just expect a fight. You're like, <laughs> round one. Oh, I love that. They, they turn up in the hall. You get the weird lizard man. You get, like, what, like uh, what's the one with, like, the hair called? I oh, was like, Garg or Garg? Garg or something like that. Yeah, Karg. I think it was Karg. Karg, yeah. I think that's right, Karg. Yeah. And the, with the best 80s hair ever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He looks like uh, a disintegrated version of someone from Guns N' Roses. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, yeah, they just turn up and they just, well, beat this guy up. Oh, yeah, well, what's the guy's name? Carl or something. Yeah. <laughs> he goes there. I, I, we don't know who Carl is. Like, no idea. And then they just go, you, you can't be in here. At which point they beat the ever-loving, like, crap out of I, I love the fact that they say, they say, don't kill him. And then they shoot him off and throw him through a door. This is like Batman level of violence, isn't it? It's like, yeah. oh, I don't kill people, but I will beat them to him an inch of their life. This is why I kind of find the 80s quite funny, though, because like they've done it so, like, no one really dies. Yeah. People can plead all over the place in this film. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love the fact when he throws him through the door, uh, when you see him hit the door, he's going backwards with his back facing the door but when he comes through his head's coming first and he's he's facing forwards with his torso i didn't know just yeah <laughs> what a wonderful cup 
But then, like, they start basically chasing cop- yeah. cops and duty. These four, these four elite mercenaries, the, the most, like, dangerous men in Skeletal's arsenal, uh, try everything in their power to catch catch this Courtney Cox. And there's not much they can do against the power of a, of a, a teenage girl. No. She is clearly unstoppable, and there's nothing they can do to prevent her escape. And then... I love this. So as a fighting guy, basically they set the entire hall alight. Yeah. To like a ridiculous level. I know. They, they like shoot into her like it's the Vietnam War, just firing into the jungle. I don't know what could be there. <laughs> and then like, Julie runs out into the alley and bumps into essentially what is a half-naked man yeah. who just goes, it's okay. Yeah. I know. I've had many encounters with a half-naked man in the street and, and then saying, comforting me. That's been rather lasting. Oh, it happens every day. Yeah. So when we when we say the half naked man, we are of course talking about He Man. Yes. But she's got no context of who he is. I mean, though, to be fair though, if he saw a a, a blonde bronze um, Dolph Lundgren standing there in Y fronts, <laughs> I I might go in for a cup, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but in fact, he's just got like a sword and a gun. It's yeah. Like. He's got a ginormous sword, a brilliant waving red cape, the best <laughs> 80s mullet of all time, because they all have the 80s mullet. I'm pretty sure the original He-Man cat model, like kid's toy, didn't have a mullet. They no. only put in because that is the fashion of the year. Yeah. Yeah. But um, one of the things I quite like about Dolph Lundgren in this is, you know, like when I was talking, uh, we were watching the film, I said there were certain things they were going to do which were going to make this film even worse. Okay, yep. The original plan was to have someone dub over him so they didn't have his accent in the film. <laughs> yeah. And again, they run out of money so they couldn't do it. <laughs> so thank goodness for that. That would have been horrific. It would have been funny for about five minutes. Then yeah. like, this is excruciating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it would it probably would have been very insane the first time you hear it, but then it would have been just as bad as watching the two puppet characters talk through two mouths. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, of course, you know, he, he jumps in to protect her and fights off the mercenaries in a, a vicious struggle mm. before and get he receives the support of his two comrades. Um, at which point, Corny Fox clearly knows way more than we do about what's going on in this universe because she completely trusts them. Yeah. And rather than totally freaking out, like anyone would do in that situation, she's like, Oh no! Yeah, no. Let's go. Let's go do cool things together. Let's go on adventures together. I can't wait. This is going to be a life-changing experience for me. <laughs> She's far more outgoing than I am. <laughs> and then we go to um, the scene where Kevin goes into the pawn shop to ask about the the object he's found, the musical instrument. And the guy behind the counter, he doesn't know what it is, but he pretends he does. Mm-hmm. And then we see loads of police cars basically going past yeah. in the street. And for some reason, this guy's just got a walkie-talkie that can, like, tune into the police frequency. Yeah, he just has it sitting on the floor of his music shop and just, like, picks it up like it's a, a just a random... It's like the naked gun. Mm. They just pick up, like, almost like a big phone to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, like, I, I kind of... Well, like you were saying when we were watching, they, they, then, they then say that there's been possible arson at the school hall. Yeah. There's been literally a full-on battle, and then... Yeah, like a gunfight yeah. in on the alley. Well, I mean, to be fair, uh, besides Carl and Courtney Cox, there wasn't anyone else there to kind of report it. So all they're seeing is a big old fire at this sort of time. 
But I just love the fact that obviously um, Kevin in his concerned races there, of course you would. You're concerned about, you know, your your potential loved ones gone missing or has been caught in fire. Um, and then Carl is willed out and struck up with his head completely bandaged up. And at this point, Kevin starts shouting at him, you know, where is Julie? Tell me where she is. Where is she? Carl's got bandages all around his head. What's he going to tell you in this situation? <laughs> but I will say with the scene, there was quite a nice surprise because I didn't know this until I watched it. Mm-hmm. And I think it was you who actually spotted it. I kind of, I think we both would have done eventually. Yeah. But it's got the Dean from Back to the Future. It does, yes. I'm so, I, yeah, I'm so glad that he's in it. <laughs> this is probably only the, the, the second movie franchise I've seen him in. Yeah, the bigger part of this one, but I, I think Back to the Future might be a tiny bit better than this film. Um, yeah, just a just a switch, just a tad. I'd say you know morsel better. I would say there's an argument; it's a classic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I kind of like the fact that okay, this one he's a detective. Yeah, but he plays exactly the same character as him. Oh, yeah, so he is essentially is the is the angry person telling off the youth. But I love the fact that. He's obviously gone there because of the the arson that's going on, and he gets told by Kevin, like, "Oh, you know, my my loved one, that Judy was in there. There's something you have to do something about it." And he's like, "Yeah, okay, okay, kid. Well, let's go run for it then, shall we? Yeah, just just get in my car and we'll go drive around." But rather than this kind of being a you know him just being angry and sarcastic at him, he generally just takes a car ride yeah. to his girlfriend's house. How lovely! Yeah. Why would you? Why would you do that as a police officer assigned to a potential arson case? You would just drive off with a guy to go look at someone, look for someone in their house, despite the fact that you know she was only there like five minutes ago. You know, the arson only happened in the last like fifty minutes <laughs> potentially, but no, she made it all the way back to her home. That's fine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We then we then move back to uh, Castle Grayskull. Yes, where we have the uh, our villains, you know, uh, Blade. Yes, Blade, Beastman. Yeah, Quite Krog, who is there? You know, versus Carl. Yeah, yeah. the <laughs> man and the lizard thing. Well, he's not going to be there much longer. No, he's not. <laughs> so, and obviously, his uh, his bits of rage are their incompetence of not being able to catch them, and also somehow their ability to cross back into our dimensions, despite the fact they don't have a key to do so. Um, he, oh, yeah, because Skeletor opened the, the portal, didn't he? But somehow they were able to get back. They used that other top secret portal that no one else knows about. Mm. They, they managed to get through that. <laughs> but yeah, obviously in, in his rage, he um, vaporizes one of them, one of his like elite mercenaries, as like a, you know, making an example of them, and then does what you probably should have done in the first place, and sent them there with actual sizable force. <laughs> and more importantly, with uh, Evil Lynn. Evil Lynn. Yes. Sort of like the main sort of like side villain, I guess. Yes, the the true uh, the true sidekick to Skentel's evil. Yes. Apparently, um, sort of two things were applauded in this film. Okay. One was the performance done by, um, you know, for Skeletor. Yeah. And the other one was her contact lenses. People thought they were quite creepy. Yeah, well, yeah. I have to say that I mean, the, the eyes were probably the one... That- like good bit of um, you know cosmetic makeup that I think they've done in that film. Mm. Um, I I kind of get the performance for Skeletor, but it's severely hampered by really shoddy makeup. Yeah, well, yeah, and yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, and I'm, I'm I mean, yeah, I think I think the performance is probably was fine 
They're probably a lot better than most of the other people in the film. Not hard. No. You, yeah, but yeah, as I said, it's not hard to do that. You know, you, you, you're, praise, you're praising like a mediocre performance because it, can, it is significantly better than anything else around it. The one thing I do miss with Skeletor is, you know, when you watch the cartoons, he's got a slightly higher voice. I mean, yes. And when he laughs, <laughs> it's a shame they didn't have that laughing. Yes. It would be pretty good if he talked like that all the time. <laughs> Make it far more interesting. So after we've gone back to there and he sent the army back to Earth. Yep. Uh, we then go to Kevin and the detective arriving at Julie's house. Yep. And the phone rings. Mm. And he answers the phone and it's Julie. Yeah. And we don't really have an idea that the detective at this point is, you know, like a... He's not really an enemy. He's kind of like a, a middle ground guy, I guess, in terms of that. He's a police officer trying to support in the case, but uh, apparently he's clearly a, a dangerous threat. He's not allowed to know what's going on. That's the thing, right? Like, if they'd just been honest at this early point, maybe he would have been more understanding. Well, do you reckon it's because he actually saw him in Back to the Future and shows <laughs> what kind of guy he is? Yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just got a bad feeling about this detective. Yeah, definitely. Well, because uh, yeah, because it was this scene where the detective decides he's going to take this device away from him to because it's some kind of evidence and it's probably some kind of dodgy technology, which it absolutely and is. I, I have to ask, uh, what does he? Where does he go with this base? Does he take it back to the police station? Of course he doesn't. Oh, of course he doesn't take it to evidence or take it to anyone reputable. He goes to the one source of knowledge in this town, which is the music shop. Yeah, everything goes to the music shop. Of course, the man knows all. He knows on <laughs> technology. But obviously he he leaves the scene, but in the process of him trying to show the detective what it does, uh, he gets his location traced by all the evil people. Yeah, who who then obviously come to uh, wreck his stuff. I love the fact that the it, I feel like whenever someone materialises in this place, they always end up in the same alley. Yeah. <laughs> At this time, well, basically an entire army appears with a hovercraft type yeah. thing. It's a, basically a small, a small battle force has just appeared in the in the streets of this like anonymous American town. No one, no one knows a thing, and I get it's probably very late at night. But even then, someone would have fired something in. You would have thought so. You know, it, it kind of you know like the very old PS One games where they physically couldn't have a lot of people in one place. Yes, it feels like that's the reason the streets are deserted. Yes, like, yeah. Because the rendering of all those other people is going to be too difficult yeah. on the computer to handle. Obviously, you know, Evil Lynn and her henchmen and my favourite person, Blade, set up, um, take Kevin hostage and then proceed to interrogate him with a collar, which will uh, allow them to say, uh, like, get anything out of him, essentially. And then proceed to... Uh, have you seen, the, you know, the meme? The FBI open up meme? They you must have been so... Yeah, they... Where they kick in the door and they basically run around the house like say the FBI is here. They're like smashing pots and throwing things against walls and like causing damage for absolutely no reason. That's basically what the stormtroopers in this do. <laughs> they just go around that house just smashing things to pieces, like even going through like the tiniest of boxes. Because yes, this like foot long contraption is going to be found in there. Absolutely. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. 
And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What I like about Evil Lynn, and you're not going to get this, and there's probably going to be about two listeners out there that do. Okay. One of my other films I used to watch a lot when I was younger was called Jack the Giant Killer. It was like a 1950s film. Okay. She looks identical to one of the villains in that film. Okay, well, I'm going to have to have a look at that then. <laughs> That's another film that I love it. It's not a good film, but I love it. <laughs> but it's one of those ones where I have, you know, like the stop motion sort of plasticine monsters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, the, one of the classics yeah. there. They're not heroes. Well, it's sort of like split. It starts with them going to uh, Julie's house. Yeah, well, it, obviously, they've just had the Raymond Julie's house, and then the um, they all get into their hovercraft. They're, they're like, they're like, pick like triangle shaped hovercraft and start floating off. And then as they're floating off, the car, we didn't mention the car. Oh, my we God. Not mention the car. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the car that somehow this little, uh, little creature who is alien to this world in the span, time span of probably like an hour, has souped up to be some kind of like high-tech monster. <laughs> and I don't like it. I felt like they needed another scene to kind of add context to that. Because he just comes out of nowhere saying, oh, well, yeah, I found this like human travel wagon. This is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously then we this, you know, that same car comes racing along um, in, full, in full view of the flying triangle. But... <laughs> Is not aware of their presence at all. The thing I don't get about, I think it's, it's Gildor, isn't it? He's called Gildor, yeah. yeah. There's a there's a character in the He-Man cartoon called Orko. Okay. If you've um, played um, Kingdom Hearts, he looks a bit like one of the types of Heartless in that. Mm-hmm. He's got an identical personality to Gildor. Yeah. Why did they just not make Gildor Orko? Well, is, is Gildor an actual character from the, the toys? Is he one of the toy characters? Maybe. I'm not 100% sure. I've seen a few, um, like, He-Man episodes. He's definitely not a main character. No. Orko is. In fact, he's one of, like, He-Man's main companions. But how how, how would it have been more difficult to uh, make Orko on the screen than it was to make this little goblin creature? Well, they failed to make the goblin look good. I mean, yeah, you have a point there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the one I understand a bit more why they didn't have is Cringer, who's... Um, Basically, like a tiger thing that when He Man does his "I have the power" thing, uh, he um, so he's very cowardly beforehand, and then he becomes a fierce lion. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, I know the character. Yeah, they didn't have him in this because they didn't have the budget. No, which they couldn't okay. afford a tiger. No, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> this is the eighties. If they could buy a tiger, they probably would do and stick it on film. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You know, obviously, you know, we, we've had our heroes uh, come in and rescue Kevin from the evil contraption. Yep. Yeah, and they proceeded to um, yeah, discern the location. Oh, yeah, the, the bit where, where 
the Gil- was it Gilmore comes in and oh I'm wearing human clothes <laughs> oh shit <laughs> that's so wonderful well he sees such a uh, a comedy character like when he sees what the cow early and then he tries to speak cow <laughs> yeah oh what comic relief he is isn't he charming isn't he wonderful but basically what so we've had they've arrived so the enemies have blown off in their ship to the music shop mm. our heroes have then so as they're flying off our heroes are driving down the road and they somehow don't see the ship flying off yep yep they then take off the collar they have a whole conversation and then they get in the car yep. and somehow get to the music shop before the enemies. Yeah, but somehow beat them to a music shop despite the fact they're in a car reliant on roads and they're using a hovercraft that flies through the air. Mm. And they beat them there um, and obviously beat the tar out of the police officer to get the, the contraction off of him. Yeah. Because it's funny. Um, and then proceed to get into a massive pitched battle yeah. with all of the evil soldiers turning up out of the blue. Well, not really out of the blue. Obviously, they're on their way there as well. Um, and the, the, Yeah. <laughs> the big thing here is you have uh, the <clears throat> Gildor at the back, and he's trying to sort of, like, sort out the contraption so that they can sort of get away. Yeah. But at the same time, you have uh, Evil Lynn. Yeah, well, you know, they're, they're in the back room, and uh, you've got, um, is it Lay- Layla? Uh, Layla. No, Tila. Tila, yeah. Yep. So you, you, they go into the back room, you've got Tila, who's been told to stand guard whilst He-Man and Man-at-Arms def- defend the shop from the evil people. Um, and obviously she decides that she needs to help her friends and passes the uh, yeah, passes the revolver to Kevin mm. to to stop the police officer from doing anything drastic. Yes. And obviously the police officer decides to just fight him anyway, despite the fact that the guy's <laughs> holding a gun, yeah. and it makes perfect sense. And then that whole time, uh, Courtney Cox, our, our lovable lady... Um, Peers out of a window and sees her mum standing down the alleyway. Yeah. And rather than be a bit freaked out by this... I wonder if it's connected to all of these weird things that are going on. I know. It's strange, but I wonder if there's anything going on right now that might make this suspicious. Does anyone around me right now have technology that I don't understand? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I, I understand that, you know, seeing a, a long-lost relative might be a very emotional moment. Yes. It might make you get riled up. But it can, considering the circumstances that she's in, I don't think running out there and giving her a big cuddle and then agreeing to grab the contraption that everybody's after and just hand it over to her, why does she think her mum would ask for that? What kind of job did her mum do in the past head? <laughs> That meant that she was well aware of the the cosmic key and said, "This is what this is. We've been after. We obviously we had to go into hiding. <laughs> but why? Like, you know, see, you surely you'd go. She would just go, "Why? Mm. Why don't you need to go? To- You've literally caused me mass emotional distress." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Corley Cost does let out the most impassionate scream, uh, finding out what has really happened. But I mean, come on, she should have really kind of been aware of what had gone on there so basically at this point uh evil lynn has tricked her and has managed to get the yes. cosmic key yes she has yeah at which point you know the logical course of action would be to just use the key and shoot herself out of there yeah and uh that'd be it you know they're not able to build another one using earth technology 
She'd be able to go back to her time and schedule and complete the ritual. Yeah, P-Man and his allies. And that's, stuck on Earth. and that's the end of the film. Anyway, good night, everyone. Um, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. <laughs> but no, um, they they can't think log- logically in that because they need stuff to happen in a film. Yeah. So basically, um, she... I love the fact, right? So when depending on who uses the machine, it's always got a different sound. Yeah. So Gildor uses it. It's just kind of... It's like, yep. You've got... Um, Kevin uses it in its proper synth... Yeah, like, like... Synth wave sort of style. 80s. Yeah, proper 80s synth. And then Evil Lynn uses it, and it's gone evil. Synth. Yeah, it's like an evil bass sound, too, isn't it? Yeah. And this opens a massive portal. Yeah. That a, all of the forces of Skeletor come through. Come pouring out of there on his giant, like, rolling throne of death. Yeah. Um, which, as I alluded to earlier... Don't know why he chose to do that. I don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of their big downfall. They all decided just to randomly come to Earth. Yeah, <laughs> maybe they wanted a holiday. Oh yeah, maybe that. Obviously, uh, you know, Skeletor sends off some of his flying dudes, which uh, encounter He-Man, who then decides to like try and intercept them because he's managed to, you know, what? No, he intercepts one of them, steals the hoverboard, and he yeah. uses the hoverboard to go after the evil Lin, and is able to steal the device back. And rather than fly away with the device to get away from the bad guys, he continues to pursue one of them for inexplicable reasons. And it's, it's coming alongside this is probably the funniest the funniest scene in the whole the whole film, where they're on a roof discussing around what they need to do next. Yeah, see man's out there. Yeah, yeah, trying to like prepare for the fight to come. <laughs> Background: You've just got skeletons thrown. Slow rising over the side of the building as he kind of pops up. And I've no idea how nobody noticed anything like this at all. He's just so sneaky. I know, incredibly sneaky in, in a, a chair in the size of a building, just popping up behind them. What I love, though, is all of these hoverboards, whenever they're on them, they literally just look like toys. Yes. They're quite clearly just plastic figures. They are toys, aren't they? Well, they are, yeah. Yeah, clearly. Apparently, um, Dolph Lundgren... Um, this film took five months to film. Okay. And he said it was a pain to film, and he, he never wanted to do another one again. <laughs> but he also said he felt very silly basically playing the toy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's sillier that he just runs around in, in wide fronts and a cape everywhere he goes, and... You know, and people just react to it like it's normal. Yeah, that's fine. Well, hey, you know, he's the right. But like, yeah, so he man, he flies on in his um, hoverboard and lands on the roof. Yep. To try and save everyone. Of course, yep. And you get that like very classic scene where the villains basically attack him one at a time, even though there's about, you know, the yeah. of them. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the other thing in that, you know, they, they didn't know that Skeletor turned up, but then all of a sudden his entire army appeared ev- everywhere. Mm. Out of literally nowhere. How did no one know that there wasn't, like, thousands of people around? Yeah. It's like, no wonder, like, we as humans have never seen, you know, properly seen UFOs. We're not paying attention. No, we're not the most observant species, are we? <laughs> we shouldn't talk about UFOs on the Egyptology podcast. <laughs> yeah, don't go there. You're going to argue with your actually. Yeah. But, yeah, so basically, um, there's a total of fight on the... Um, on the roof, but slowly He-Man and his allies kind of get overwhelmed. Yep. Or what? He-Man never really gets overwhelmed. No. His allies do. His allies get overwhelmed, and obviously Skeletor's like, if you don't stop right now, they'll do the classic. If you don't stop right now, He-Man. <laughs> 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 and 
I will kill if you don't become my slave. I will kill your friends. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, He Man, being that heroic figure he is, throws down his blade to save his friends. He, the power of friendship. And I can't remember exactly why, but Cooley Cox runs forward and Skeletor like shoots her with electric. Oh, because she, um, the, he's trying to go for the key. That's it, yeah. Yeah, so he goes to shoot the key and the electric also hits her in the leg. Mm, that's right, yeah. And yeah, so she falls over and the key gets fried, yeah. basically. So the enemies leave, but now the key's gone. So He-Man's allies are stuck on Earth while He-Man is taken back to Eternia. Yeah, prisoner, yeah. Yeah. So, but, he, but obviously Skeletor has decided what is a very good idea is to leave the slightly damaged key mm. with the guy who made the keys in the first place on <laughs> Earth. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. It may, yeah, you know, it makes perfect sense. You know, he goes, oh, it's fine. You know, uh, I'm just going to leave this very, very useful device with the man who built it. Mm. You know, nothing can happen. Surely not. And, yeah, so basically, what well, we find out that the key works through music at this point. Yes. And, you know, Kevin just happens to be a musician, oh, right? Yeah. I, you know, Kevin uses his musical, uh, like, his absolute paragon when it comes to music. Mm -hmm. And he's able to uh, remember the tune. Well, I love it. Ice made. So they say that it's going to take... Um, it could take thousands of years to remember this this tune. Do you know the tune goes? It's the kind of tune you hum to yourself as you're walking down the street. Yeah, like, you know, it, it, if if you'd be walk, you know, imagine if uh, tunes did like did cause portals to open. I mean, everyone on Earth would just be vanishing all the time, wouldn't they? I love that they're like they're shocked that uh, Kevin can remember this. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's not particularly difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so basically um well in terms of on earth you have um he-man's allies and kevin um they're basically trying to save julie and you find out at this point that the electric that skeletal has used also is somehow poisonous yeah oh yeah it wasn't nice yeah so she's got a really nasty infection on the leg mm. and it's already in her blood it's nothing we can do about it no i mean in fairness, I've never seen another film have a poisonous electricity. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think lightning is bad, but if you've seen that poison lightning, God, yeah, you know, don't want to get struck by that. I might say that if I ever meet someone who's been struck by lightning. It's good thing it wasn't poisonous or <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, have you ever been struck by poison lightning? I thought not. I <laughs> didn't think so. <laughs> so on Earth, you basically have uh, the Allies trying to recreate the key with the expert musical ability of Kevin. Yeah. Who can remember a very simple tune. Of course, yeah. And in Eternia, in the in Castle Greyskull, mm. you have He-Man who's uh, sort of been stripped down even more. Yeah. And he's being marched out, and he's basically the slave of Skeletor now. Oh, yeah, yeah. So his wife runs. The thing I didn't get about this, right, is Skeletor didn't want to kill He-Man earlier on because yeah. it would make him into a martyr. He wanted to break him. Yeah. He's now saying that he wants He-Man to kneel before him and then he's going to kill him. Which is basically killing him because, you know... I mean, you know, that, that essentially is going to create a martyr all over again yeah but i don't understand this concern because the whole point in this is that he wants to get the you know the true power of grayskull which gives him full control over the universe yeah at which point it would it even matter mm. you know the guy would have the power of a god so why does he care about making one guy a martyr 
But then we have the scene with your uh, your favourite character. Yes. Yeah, Blade. Blade, yes, Blade. With his... Uh, his looks very happy <laughs> to have the yeah the, the sword of Grayskull mm. there. He's, he's incredibly chuffed with himself. Yeah. He's like a kid in a candy store. So Skeletor, well, Skeletor gets the, the blade and puts it in this weird like holder. Yeah, of course. And uh, Blade starts whipping He-Man with yeah. a big whip. With a big fire, a big fire whip, isn't mm. it? A big like red shiny laser whip. And you say like uh, Dolph Lundrum's way of like reactors was just to you know, go ah. Oh, he didn't even go ah. Oh, like initially, he basically just slightly moves his torso. He doesn't even really respond <laughs> to it. It's only later when he goes ah. Oh, there's just loads of like scars all over his body. I think it's fair to say, like as much as you know, I, I like Dolph Lundrum. Yep. He's gotten better at acting over the years. Yeah, I'd say I think his acting has aged with him, which is really good because I uh, wasn't great. No, so it wasn't fantastic. He's more kind of just walking through a role. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a very good way of putting it, actually. He's walking through a role. Yeah. Well, as you said, he didn't enjoy working on it, so he's probably not exactly putting his finest work yeah. on the spot here. And then... So, essentially, I don't really understand, but, but I think it's because they've used so many words that aren't really words in this film. That they just say the eye will now open, and the big thing opens behind Skeletor. Yep, to show like stars and space in the background. Yep, and basically, like Skeletor starts to glow, mm-hmm. and this is basically him supposed to be getting his ultimate power. But I don't get what the power is. It's just a helmet. No, well, yeah. I, so obviously, it's meant to be power over the universe. To as he, in his own words, he he has become God. Mm. Um, but all he does is turn into even more of a Mortal Kombat character. <laughs> um, gains a nice spiky helmet and shoots slightly different coloured lightning. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not much of an upgrade, I must say. Not really, no. Um, I mean, but the armor's cool. It's not. It's trippy, essentially. But I mean, he could have at least asked to, for them to fix his face. It kind of... So, it's sort of like the epitome of if you were to ask a um, a child to design like a sort of evil character. Yeah, this is what they create. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a, an over the most over designed thing where a child just wants to keep adding to their drawing more spikes and more horns <laughs> and gems and everything on them. It's like look, Daddy, <laughs> look what I drew, evil guy. Yeah, that's very nice, Sonia. <laughs> oh God. Uh. I'll put it on the fridge. Yeah, we're on the fridge next to the other evil guys. <laughs> I quite like, as we go back to Earth, where we've got the detective, and he's now got, like, a big shotgun because he got it from the pool. Yeah, he's actually managed to get some backup now, but what I find very funny is that the, the police officers are kind of looking at him like he's a bit of a loony, you know, saying that there's, like, invaders that are attacking them and all everything along these lines. I mean, he's got all the evidence he needs to prove to the police that they just were hit by an, another well-being invader mm. because there's loads of dead bodies in the music shop still. There's literally been, like, a couple of battles. Yeah. And there is absolutely no way that neighbours wouldn't have been peeping out the windows uh, and, yeah. and calling the police. Mm-hmm. I would actually quite like a series based on this film, which was just one of the neighbours. Yeah. yeah. Just a guy having a coffee whilst weird stuff goes on in the same time. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, like, the scene in, in Shaun of the Dead? Yeah. Where he's... um the The... 
Or where he goes for a walk in the morning to go get his newspaper and the zombie yeah. apocalypse has happened. They could just do that, but with an entire town, just somehow <laughs> miss it. This, like, full-on battle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, um, obviously, he, you know, wants to try and, like, stop whatever weird stuff's going on with He-Man's allies and Kevin. And, um, you know, it decides, you know, yeah, there they are. We need to try and stop them. But rather than just coming in with all the police straight away, he goes, no, I'm going to go in myself and wait for my signal. For, for no real reason that I can tell, to be honest. No, I don't understand why that was necessary. Let me just take on all of these people on my own. Yes, I have a shotgun now. <laughs> I am able to take on anything. I have a shotgun. Well, have they got laser guns? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, and then, you know, they're obviously in the process of using the music and uh, Kevin's keyboards mm-hmm. to get back into, uh, get back to Eternia. And then as they're just about to do so, the police officer turns up and gets pulled through the pool with them, along with a chunk of the tenard. Do you know what I thought would have been quite funny, though? What's that? If instead all of the police officers had gone up and then you just got Skeletor there, and then suddenly a load of policemen just start coming through the fort. <laughs> yeah, that'd be like, you know, Earth's now invading. It's kind of a... Stop, you're under arrest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're all under arrest. You could even a big scary guy up there. Just get like Skeletor as a god being taken away in handcuffs. That would have been great. I mean, that sounds like, um, yeah, old, you know, old like DC comics. Yes. Yeah, where like, yeah, the evil bad guy gets taken away in cuffs when Superman was only just able to beat him. Best police officers are the toughest men of all time. Yeah. yeah. So, like you say, they, they arrive and they kind of take part of. Like part of a car and a wall with Yeah, and part of the town comes along with them. Yeah, to Castle Grayskull. And so starts the final battle. Yeah, and it's a big battle. It's a, it's a doozy. It's one hell of a battle. We've got Corny Cops laying in the background quite ill. Yep. Uh, and then we've got, well, like them all shooting, shooting each other. Yeah, Man at Arms and um, the, the one whose name I keep forgetting. Teldia, Taltia, Tila, yeah. I don't know why I keep forgetting that. Um, yeah, proceeding to just kind of like shoot at everybody from behind the cover of a sit- half of a sedan car. But the great thing is, you've got the detective there with his shotgun. Yes, who has a moment where he take kills about seven of them in a single volley. He's suddenly become like this mega hero who's going to take on the entire world by himself. And this is the scene where I, I started... I know you like it was throughout the film, but this is the scene where I noticed it most. When he breaks out and starts beating people up, and you just see people just flopping in the background. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, now that, I think that happens in a couple of the fight scenes. Like, when they're on the rooftop, there's a bit where one of the soldiers just falls over. Like, as he's coming towards him, he very clearly just trips up and falls over. Yeah, he doesn't do anything to him. He's just like, oh, I slipped. Well, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, um, you know, but, you know, during this whole fight, Skeletor is doing his Skeletor thing um, and uses his godlike powers to fire... Tiny little lightning strikes at random locations. Hey, hey, hey. Poisonous. Poison. Ah, oh, yes. Poisonous lightning. Okay, no, that's a real threat. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, sorry, I could say conveniently poisonous when it suits them. Yes, we mean quite poisonous when it suits them. But then, um, obviously, He-Man uh, manages to fight off the rest of them by pushing over a statue. Which did see, something. Yeah, they all kind of just fall over in shock. That uh, is pure strength. And then gets into the final showdown against our evil Lord Skeletor. Yes. With his amazing shining sword. The thing I find quite funny, right? Because, well, like, um, 
Skeletor's got like a weird, what, like staff thing. Yes. And then the staff breaks and he just turns back into his normal self. But there's no hint that that no. was where his power came no, from. No, like, there was no hint that it was his staff that contained the power. I, I thought it was imbued inside of him. No. But his staff was the thing giving him power. I also love the fact that at this point, like, he man walk gets a sword and does a whole, oh, I have no power. And the Lone Skeletor's just kind of standing there. <laughs> Cool, okay, I'll let him do his little little shiny speech for a bit. <laughs> but I love the fact, like, in the cartoons, that's he's supposed to be, you know, Prince Adam. He does, I have the power, and then he turns into He-Man. Do you reckon he was going to turn into He-He-Man? He-He-Man. Little pink guy. But, like, yeah, like, in this one, he just says that, and then he's just, you know, he, he was powerful before, and he's yeah. out of laughter. Sort of pointless. Yeah, well, you know, he means to do his shit. Yeah, the cat phrase, but... And then, um, you know, he defeats our villain by, you know, breaking his staff and then um, Skirtle comes out his own sword and then tries to stab him, falls into a pit. Much like what's his name for yeah, Star Wars. He's very much does a Emperor Power Help the the falling down the pits, going, Again, in the cartoon, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, okay, we really mad. And, um, yeah, Hero saved the day. Mm. And then, uh, um, yeah, and then obviously, um, you know, they have a wonderful celebration, which seems very Star Warsy as well. <laughs> you know, like everyone pats themselves on the back. For some reason, the police officer decides he's going to stay. And there's just like a random, like, 80s woman. Yeah, there's like a random 80s woman who... Was never brought up, never just just happens to be there and finds him very attractive. Probably because she's not seen the Back to the Future movies. <laughs> <laughs> but like, also like the, the sorcerer they captured. Yeah. Like, I don't get what she. I don't get her point in this film. Well, I, I don't. I don't think she ever moves from that spot. No, no. Like, because even in the scene after they rescue her, she's still standing there. Do you like? Is she just glued? There? <laughs> Like, you know, like, uh, so you've got, like, the sorcerer, and they say that he's, like, taking his power from her. Yeah. But then, like, the way he becomes a god is to put the, you know, the sword yeah. into, like, that sheath thing. But can it be that she's, he's siphoning her power away from her so that he can use that to open the gate? Maybe. Maybe they, I do feel like needed to be a bit clearer of what she was like. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, like... <clears throat> So they have their, like, little celebration, like you say, a bit Star Wars-y. Yeah, police officer decides he's going to stay with a random woman who just finds him attractive. And then um, they say that I can send them, they can send them back to their own time. And the little goblin guy goes, I can send you back to any point in time, any point in time in the universe. Kind of alludes to our ending a little bit. Yeah, and so suddenly we have uh, Julie, Courtney Cox, uh, Waking up. up in her bed, which is not how the keys worked previously. No. no. They're just waking up in her bed like it was all dreams. Very odd. And uh just so happens that he sent her back to just before her parents are going to die. And this is about, like you said, you know, we find out a little bit more about their very bizarre story. Yeah. So, you know, um look, so the reason why is uh, that she blames herself for them dying is because on that day she said that uh, she didn't want to go to the beach with them. So in, instead of going to the beach, they go on a flight to Kenya. No, no, no. A quick flight. A quick flight to Kenya. So I was convinced that this took place in the United States. But I don't know when you can take a day trip to Kenya. You know, it's it's quite 
it's quite an amazing reason. It says, oh, oh okay, well, if we're not going to go to the beach, we'll go to Kenya. <laughs> One or the other, I guess. Or, yeah, well, if you're not going to do that, uh, Charles, we're going to just go to Kenya then. <laughs> it makes a perfect sense. And then, you know, we have the end of the film. Yeah. We have, again, Team Andy, I have the power. Well, yeah, well, so she obviously runs out of her house and Kevin is like, you know, it really did happen. And he pulls the gem out and then looks into it and then you get him and go, oh, I love it. Yeah. I'm it's, yeah. Then there's one more scene at the very end. Yeah, first, a post-credit scene. Yeah. Post-credit scene. A pre-Marvel post-credit yeah. scene. Like, it's a bit Marvel. Yeah. yeah. Pre-even, I think uh, the first one we saw the post-credit scene outside, this one was uh, the first Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> but like what? So you have Skeletor pop up and go, I'll be back. No, you won't, because the company went. Oh, that's a shame. I was looking forward to all the sequels that were going to clearly happen. You're going to show me later. Absolutely. Oh. They replaced Dolph Lundgren with a slightly less, you know, recognised actor. Yeah. And then <laughs> that person gets replaced by another actor as the quality gets even further down. You're lamenting your Scorpion King marathon at the moment, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, man, that's it. That, is, that was heat. That was the masters of the universe. Now I'm going to ask you a question that I can't answer. Okay. What would you give it out of 10? So, I mean, if you treat it as a film in te- intended to be a big hit with audiences and try and like get a critical score, no, it massively failed at doing that. Yeah, it, it, I, Oddly still in, enjoyed watching it, mostly be, probably because it's two people having a laugh whilst doing so. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's kind of hard to rate it in that sense. I, I think if I went and watched it by myself off of its own merits, I couldn't give it any more than an AD like a three, I would say. I think that's fair. But yeah. then the, the thing with this movie is that it's not, I don't think its intention is any of that. The The whole point of this, this film is to push product. Mm-hmm. This, that's only what it is. They, they, and they probably made more money out of the toy sales from just pushing this film out than they did through the film on its own. Yeah, I, yeah. I you know, I, I can't imagine that the fact that this wasn't successful for Mattel really batters. They, you know, the amount of money they make on toy sales alone completely dwarfs it. For Canon, obviously, it was absolutely disastrous. Yeah, yeah. But for Mattel, they probably just brushed it off and just carried on with their plans of selling stuff to kids. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, it was clearly just meant to be a... It definitely felt like it was meant to be a cash-grab thing uh, with the intention to sell toys. Mm. The reason that I find this all quite hard to rate mm. is because, well, recently I watched um, The Mummy Free... Uh, I found that on Quadra as well. I, I gave it, from. I gave it five out of ten because I felt like um, Rotten Tomatoes. They gave it thirteen, and I thought that was a little bit harsh. Yeah, there's there's merit to that film, but obviously you've talked about that in your video. Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing is, though, I watched that film like well, I've seen it a few times, but I've watched it with people and I've watched it alone, and I don't think I think it's underwhelming either way. Yeah, I think at least with this film, if you're watching it with someone, it's at least funny. Yeah, no, yeah, these are the these are the kind of films that are brilliant to watch in a group. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it, well, it's, that, it's that whole thing of so bad it's good. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it's on the scale of, um, you know, I, I feel like my enjoyment of a film almost falls onto almost like a, if you put it onto like a graph where you've got, you know, 
how how much I enjoyed it compared to how good the film was. Mm. You know, um, it would almost go in like a U shape. <laughs> yeah. So the stuff that is genuinely a, an incredibly good film, of course, I'm going to enjoy it. Mm. And then it slowly goes down to a U to the point where you just get a film, a middling film that is just forgettable, just kind of bland. You know, it's not terrible. But it's not great, and you you forget about it. You walk out of the cinema, and you just forget that they were really a thing, and you won't even be able to remember you watched it in years to come. Yeah. But then you get to the other side of the spectrum, where there are films that are generally so utterly awful, such as this one. Not as bad as Plan Nine from Outer Space. <laughs> that's, a, that's something special. Yeah, that, I think that that's unrateable because that is truly something you need. But this, you get to that end of the year graph where it comes straight back up in the enjoyment level again. Yeah, yeah, I guess that. Yeah, and it, you know, it genuinely, they can be an absolute delight to watch because just how terrible. <laughs> right, I think that about brings this episode to an end, to be honest, unless you've got anything else to say. Oh, well, uh, you know, well, thank you very much for bringing me on yet again uh, to right. watch terrible movies. And like, like I said, if you are ever back on, maybe you should pick the terrible film that you have fun memories of. Oh, good. Well, yeah, I need to remember all the utter rubbish that I watched as a child and then uh, torture you a bit for a change. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And um, thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And um, just a little note on later episodes. So at the end of next month, we have the new Indiana Jones coming out, uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Leading up to that film, on every Thursday, I'm going to be going over each of the Indiana Jones films in turn. So please do join me for them. Yeah, anyway, thank you very much for listening. I hope you all have a really good rest of your week. And see you next week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com slash covered. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.